0: This episode is brought to you by my friends at Very, the creators of the famous stand-up Veridesk and other office furniture. If you're like me, you're suddenly working from home. My best productivity tip is to set up a dedicated workspace. My comfy couch or the kitchen table so close to the refrigerator and snacks wasn't really working for me. So I recently set up a fully loaded home office setup using office furniture pieces from Very, and now I've got a whole mission control in a separate room for my kids and the dogs ready to roll. Very has everything you need to transform your home workspace, from desks, ergonomic chairs, and converters that transform any table in your home into a standing desk. Products are super easy to set up by yourself with little or no assembly, usually within minutes. Shipping is free in the US and most items ship out next business day. Right now you can save 10% off Very Home Office products with the code WFH2020. See the full collection and save at very.com. That's v a r i dot com, and use the code w f h twenty twenty and check out to save ten percent. Now let's get back to the show.
1: You don't even really make sense of your life looking backwards. We subscribe to a myth, I think, uh, that life is linear. We do that when we come to write our resume, <laughs> you know, because you have to put the whole thing together on one side of paper or two. Yeah. So you pick certain things out in bold and italics and uh, put key dates on it and. The whole idea is to convey to people that this was some well-ordered plan that's been unfolding. Of course, really, it's just a relentless process of improvisation and, and doing the next thing that's of interest.
0: If you're like me, you know Sir Ken Robinson from his famous TED talk. But you should also know that he works with governments, education systems, international agencies, global corporations, and some of the world's leading people to unlock the creative energy of others. Sir Ken Robinson is the most watched speaker in Ted's history, and the talk that put him on the map and my radar was his 2006 talk, Do Schools Kill Creativity? It has been viewed online over 60 million times and seen by an estimated 300 million people in 160 countries. It inspired me because I never really was good at school or taking tests. I was kind of hyper and couldn't really focus well. I was also a pretty sensitive kid actually still am a sensitive adult, full of creative ideas and dreams that I'm still pursuing. Sir Ken's talk was also a game-changer and has helped me raise my kids with more wisdom and understanding, as they're each blessed with very different skills. One is an analytic deep thinker, another who is athletic and very organized, one who is free-spirited and full of light, and the youngest who probably might be a combination of them all. Here's an excerpt of that inspiring talk.
1: So I want to talk about education and I want to talk about creativity. My contention is that creativity now is as important in education as literacy and we should treat it with the same status. I had a great story recently. Uh, I love telling it. Of a little girl who was uh, in a drawing lesson, she was 6 and she was at the back drawing and the, the teacher said this little girl hardly ever paid attention and in this drawing lesson she did. And uh, the teacher was fascinated. She went over to her, and she said, "What are you drawing?" And the girl said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher said, but nobody knows what God looks like. And the girl said, they will in a minute. (laughs) What these things have in common is that kids will take a chance. If they don't know, they'll have a go. Am I right? They're not frightened of being wrong. Now, I don't mean to say that being wrong is the same thing as being creative. What we do know is, if you're not prepared to be wrong, you'll never come up with anything original. If you're not prepared to be wrong. And by the time they get to be adults, most kids have lost that capacity. Uh, They have become frightened of being wrong. And we run our companies this, by the way, we stigmatize mistakes. And we're now running national education systems where mistakes are the worst thing you can make. And the result is that we are educating people out of their creative capacities. Picasso once said this, he said that all children are born artists. The problem is to remain an artist as we grow up. I believe this passionately, that we don't grow into creativity, we grow out of it. Or rather, we get educated out of it. So why is this? Everyone, doesn't matter where you go, you think it would be otherwise, but it isn't. At the top are mathematics and languages, then the humanities and the bottom of the arts, everywhere on Earth. And in pretty much every system too, there's a hierarchy within the arts. Art and music are normally given a higher status in schools than drama and dance. There isn't an education system on the planet that teaches dance every day to children the way we teach them mathematics. Why? Why not? I think this is rather important. I think maths is very important, but so is dance. Children dance all the time, if they're allowed to. We all do. We all have bodies, don't we? Did I miss a meeting? I mean, I think... (laughs) Truthfully, what happens is, as children grow up, we start to educate them progressively from the waist up, and then we focus on their heads, and slightly to one side. <laughs> if you were to visit education as an alien and say, what's it for, public education? I think you'd have to conclude, if you look at the output, you know, who really succeeds by this? Who does everything they should? Who gets all the brownie points? You know, who are the winners? I think you'd have to conclude the whole purpose of public education throughout the world is to produce university professors. Isn't it? They're the people who come out the top, and I used to be one. So (laughs) there. Our education system is predicated on the idea of academic ability. And there's a reason. The whole system was invented around the world. There were no public systems of education really before the 19th century. They all came into being to meet the needs of industrialism. So the hierarchy is rooted on two ideas. Number one, that the, the most useful subjects for work are at the top. So you were probably steered benignly away from things at school when you were a kid, Things you liked, on the ground, you would never get a job doing that. Is that right? Don't do music, you're not going to be a musician. Don't do art, you won't be an artist. Uh, Benign advice, now profoundly mistaken. The whole world is engulfed in a revolution. And the second is academic ability, which has really come to dominate our view of intelligence, because the universities designed the system in their image. If you think of it, the whole system of public education around the world is a protracted process of university entrance. And the consequence is that many highly talented, brilliant, creative people think they're not, because the thing they were good at at school wasn't valued or was actually stigmatized. And I think we can't afford to go on that way. In the next 30 years, according to UNESCO, more people worldwide will be graduating through education than since the beginning of history. More people. And it's the combination of all the things we've talked about, technology and its transformation effect on work, and demography and the huge explosion in population. Suddenly, degrees aren't worth anything. Isn't that true? When I was a student, if you had a degree, you had a job. If you didn't have a job, it's because you didn't want one. And I didn't want one, frankly. So, um, but now, kids with, with degrees are often heading home uh, to carry on playing video games. Because you need an MA, where the previous job required a BA, and now you need a PhD for the other. It's a process of academic inflation, and it indicates the whole structure of education is shifting beneath our feet. We need to radically rethink our view of intelligence. We know three things about intelligence. One, it's diverse. We think about the world in all the ways that we experience it. We think visually, we think in sound, we think kinesthetically, uh, we think in abstract terms, we think in movement. Secondly, intelligence is dynamic. If you look at the interactions of a human brain, as we heard yesterday from a number of presentations, intelligence is wonderfully interactive. The brain isn't divided into compartments. In fact, Creativity, which I define as the process of having original ideas that have value, more often than not, comes about through the interaction of different disciplinary ways of seeing things. The brain is intentionally. By the way, there's a shaft of nerves that joins the two halves of the brain called the corpus callosum. It's thicker in women. Following on from Helen yesterday, I think this is probably why women are better at multitasking. Because you are, aren't you? There's a raft of research, but I know it from my personal life. If my wife is cooking a meal at home, which is not often, <laughs> thankfully, but you know, if she's doing. <laughs> she's, <laughs> no, she's good at some things. But if she's cooking, you know, she's dealing with people on the phone, she's talking to the kids, she's painting the ceiling, you know, she's <laughs> doing open heart surgery over here. If I'm cooking, the door is shut, the kids are out, the phone's on the hook. If she comes in, I get annoyed. I say, Terry, please, I'm trying to fry an egg in here. You know, really. <laughs> <laughs> If <laughs> Give me a break. Actually, there was a, do you know that old philosophical thing? If a tree falls in a, in a forest and nobody hears it, did it happen? Remember that old chestnut? I saw a great T-shirt, really, recently, which said, um, if a man speaks his mind in a forest and no woman hears him, is he still wrong? <laughs> 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 And the third thing about intelligence is, it's distinct. I'm doing a new book at the moment called Epiphany, which is uh, based on a series of interviews with people about how they discovered their talent. I'm fascinated by how people got to be there. Uh, It's really prompted by a conversation I had with a wonderful woman who most people have never heard of. She's called Gillian Lynn. Have you heard of her? Some have. She's a choreographer, and everybody knows her work. She did Cats and Phantom of the Opera. She's wonderful. I used to be on the board of the Royal Ballet in England as you can see. And uh, anyway, Jillian and I had lunch one day. I said, how did you get to be a dancer? And she said it was interesting. When she was at school, she was really hopeless. And the school in the 30s wrote to her parents and said, we think Jillian has a learning disorder. She couldn't concentrate, she was fidgeting. I think now they'd say she had ADHD, wouldn't you? But this was the 1930s and ADHD hadn't been invented, you know, at this point, so it wasn't an available condition. You know, people, people... People weren't aware they could have that. <laughs> anyway, she sent, went to see this, um, this specialist. So, this oak paneled room, and, and she was there with, uh, with her mother, and she was led and sat on this uh, chair at the end, and she sat on her hands for 20 minutes while this man talked to her mother about all the problems Gillian was having at school. And at the end of it, um, because she was disturbing people, her homework was always late, and so on, a little kid of eight, in the end, uh, the uh, the doctor went and sat next to Gillian and said, Gillian, I've listened to all these things that your mother's told me. I need to speak to her privately. So she said, he, he said, wait here, we'll be back, we won't be very long. And, and, uh, and they went and left her. But as they went out of the room, he turned on the radio that was sitting on his desk. And when they got out of the room, he said to her mother, just stand and watch her. And um, the minute they left the room, she said she was on her feet, moving to the music. And they watched for a few minutes, and he turned to her mother, and he said, you know, Mrs. Lynn, Gillian isn't sick. She's a dancer. <laughs> Take her to a dance school. I said, what happened? I said, she did. I can't tell you so how wonderful it was. We walked in this room, and it was full of people like me. People who couldn't sit still. People who had to move to think. Who had to move to think. They did ballet, they did tap, they did jazz, they did modern, they did contemporary. She was eventually auditioned for the Royal Ballet School. She became a soloist, she had a wonderful career at the Royal Ballet. She eventually graduated from the Royal Ballet School, found her own company, the Gillian Dance Company, met Andrew Lloyd Webber, she's been responsible for some of the most successful musical theatre productions in history, she's given pleasure to millions, and she's a multimillionaire. Somebody else might have put on medication and told her to calm down.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode with Sir Ken Robinson as much as I did. Now let's get into it. So I usually ask my guests, how did you get this job?
1: <laughs> I don't really have a job uh, and I've had jobs in the past I've done all kinds of things I was, uh, I've run big projects I've uh, taught in universities I've worked with education systems around the world so I have been employed <laughs> I'd like to think that I'm uh, some kind of wastrel but for the past uh, seven or eight years I've worked independently you know, as a, a writer and I guess I get asked to advise on projects of various sorts and, and I rather enjoy it, I, I made a decision that I wanted to work independently for a while, and that's what I do. Talk to us a little bit about creativity, because
0: um, you know, some would argue that mathematics or science
1: or other things carry more weight than, say, the arts or other things. Well, now people do say that, uh, but people say a lot of things that are wrong. <laughs> that's just one of them. That's a yeah. great example of the things that people say that are not true. The first thing is that uh, creativity is not confined to the arts. I, I'm always very keen to point this out, that, that, that you can be creative at anything. Technology? In, anything. Anything. You can be a creative uh, software developer, a creative business person, you can be a creative chef, a creative mathematician. Uh, you can be creative in absolutely anything that involves your intelligence. And creativity, for me, is a function of intelligence. It, it's There's a very particular definition uh, that I work with for creativity, which is the process of having original ideas okay. that have value. Uh, to me, it's a very practical process. You see, there are really three key terms in all this. There's imagination, which to me is the, uh, the root of all of this. It, it, and it's the most extraordinary set of powers that people have, the ability to bring into mind things that aren't here, aren't present. Creativity is putting that to work. It's a practical process of putting your imagination to work. It's it's sometimes been called applied imagination, Mm -hmm. and innovation is really putting original ideas into practice. Well, you know, if you look around, I mean, anybody looks around, we're surrounded by the fruits of human creativity. We live in in buildings. We have urban systems. We have theories. We use languages. We dress in clothes that have been made and designed. We're talking in front of cameras that have been designed and thought through, which are the result of hundreds of years of technological evolution in their various ways. We live in a world that's made from the fruits of human imagination creativity. It's not an exotic power. We have it. It's no more exotic than languages. But we don't all develop it in the way that we could. And my argument for it is that if we don't recognize and give a proper place to developing the powers of creative thinking and production in our schools, we're denying people access to what is an essential part of their humanity. It's it's probably the only thing that really sets apart the rest of life on Earth. But for historical reasons, we've developed education systems which suppress these powers and and have caricatured them. So people think it's all about the arts. Well, I'm a lifelong advocate of the arts and education. I think they're absolutely essential. But not just because they're the creative bit of education. You can be just as creative in physics or chemistry in its own way. So it's, a, it's an argument about the whole character of education that I'm making, and that includes also reinstating the importance of disciplines which have become marginalized in the current system. Yeah. Let's break that down
0: a little bit, too. I know the people who are watching this show, they're entrepreneurs, um, they're innovators, and they're also creative types, but let's talk a little bit about where creativity comes from. Um, in some of your books, you've got the element, finding your element. Um, so where do we look? If, if I feel like... I'm a creative person, but I'm, you know, maybe I've got writer's block, or I've 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 tapped all the resource. I feel like I'm out. Where do I go to either recharge that creativity, or if I'm not creative, where do I go to find the creativity that is within me?
1: Well, these are great books, as you say about They are terrific resources. Well, um, that I find it helpful to to recognize two. Um, I hesitate to call them categories, but two sorts of creativity. Uh, I mean, uh, there's, there's sort of general creativity and personal creativity. What I mean by general creativity is that if you accept the definition that creativity is the process of having original ideas that have value, um, there are ways in which people can be helped, techniques they can practice which will enable them to. Uh, to generate more original ideas, to think more productively, being creative in a general sense is a bit like a DNA strand. You know, there are uh, part of the process is producing new ways of thinking, new, seeing new possibilities. That's a, that's a big part of it, and it's why a lot of business courses run brainstorming sessions because the whole idea is behind them. And they're not always very successful. I have to say, is that. We can help people just generate lots more wacky ideas. Yeah. But real creativity isn't just about coming up with things that are novel or fanciful. Um, It really centres around producing things that have some merit, solving Um, problems, or or, yeah, or 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 creating um, new entities in the world which enrich it. I mean, some aspects of creativity are problem solving. That's true. Uh, I mean, figuring out how to get the Golden Gate Bridge to stay up. Join the two halves of the bay in San Francisco was a major creative problem, and they solved it beautifully. It's hard to know exactly what problem uh, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony has solved. Uh, We're just an awful lot better for having it. I mean, it solved a lot of musical issues along the way, but it's not. You wouldn't call a symphony a piece of problem solving, although there are lots of problems along the way with any piece of work that you do solve. It's a different character of thing. But uh, so one aspect of being created is that it's producing new ideas and there are techniques to help you do that. Uh, But another thing that wraps around it constantly is a process of critical judgment. Anybody knows that. Like you're working on this program, when you come to edit it, you say, well does that work? Does it not work? Is that right? It's true if you're writing a poem, it's true if you work on a piece of mathematics, it's true if you're designing a new piece of technology. There's a reciprocal process of judgment. Like is this all right? Does this work? Now, of course, that raises another whole set of questions about well, whose values are you applying. And it's that's subjective, yeah. But, well, it, it may or may not be. It may or may not be. I mean, whether the Golden Gate Bridge stood up is not a matter of opinion. You know, it's there. <laughs> it did. I don't think people disagree much about E equals MC squared anymore. They think, Oh well, that's probably right. Yeah. Um, but there's an element of connoisseurship and feel and intuition very often about this. I remember a mathematician once saying to me that in a PhD program in pure maths, one of the things they uh, one of the criteria they use to judge a PhD in pure mathematics is aesthetic. In other words, how elegant is the proof? So sure. they think the more elegant it is, the more likely it is to be true. So, if people want to be more creative in a, in a general way, there are techniques you can learn, there are um, uh, practices that you can refine, and there are ways in which this can be tackled in, a, in an operational way, and if, you, for example, if you want groups to think more productively, there are ways, and there are proprietary systems out there that will help you do that. Edward de Bono, for example, has a very interesting program called Six Thinking Hats, and there's a whole program called Synectics. They're, they're very interesting ways of freeing people's thinking. Sure. Um, but there's also personal creativity. Um, what I mean by that is that it's what I talk about in The Element. that in the middle of all of that, we're all very different as well. We have our own talents, our own aptitudes, our own interests and uh, when it comes to certain sorts of production, what excites people is that they've found a medium that really turns them on. So for example, some some people find that, that it, they have to move, it's dance, or they walk into a chemistry lab and they light up, or they walk into a TV studio and think, I get this. I was talking to a guy recently, actually, he was a radio interviewer and I said, when did you get into all this." And he said, actually as a kid, I went on a school visit to the local radio station when I was 14 with my whole class. Uh, he said, we all went around, they thought it was interesting, they couldn't get me out of the place. He said, I sat there in the chair. and I thought, this is my life. This is what I want. So is that, is that what we're calling passion then these days? It's two things, I think, really. One of them, it, when I talk about the element, it's an. I mean, I've only kind of, um, used the expression, it's in common, uh, circulation, it, uh, which is that when people are doing the thing that suits them best, we just say to them, we will say, casually, they're in their element. It's like a fish in water. This is where they're meant to be. It's yeah. like a bird in the air. And, uh, then, so to me, it's two things. It's finding things you're good at, but not just things you're good at, things you also love. So if you find something that you're good at, that you love, well, you know, that's a very sweet spot to be in eventually. yeah. So that differs for all of us. I mean, I, and I find this in all the work I've done, almost anything you can think of, any human activity, there, there will be people who can't wait to get up in the morning to get to it and people whose heart sink at the very thought of it mm-hmm. because we're, <coughs> we're different you know there are there are different things excite our energy yeah so th- th- and I think it's when people are most energized or most excited by something that they're more likely to do their best personal creative work sure it's very hard to write a novel if you don't like doing that type of thing yeah well, agreed. it's very hard to come up with MC squared if you find the whole thing boring so my advice to people if they're interested in in getting back in touch with their creative capacities is to recognize there are techniques you can practice to improve your general uh, powers of creative thinking and production, but also take some time to find your elements because I think that really then puts you back in touch with some of your deepest talents.
0: I wanted to take a quick second to thank you for watching and listening. It means the world, because in 2008, when I created this show, I was in a very different and difficult place. You know, up to that point, I'd worked for about 11 different companies and bosses. My last real job with a paycheck and health benefits was at Universal Pictures, working on the brand marketing and strategy team in the home entertainment division with budgets of over $30 million. I left Universal to pursue my dream of becoming a writer, director, and producer having my own production company. So my little startup was brand new and self-funded, heading into the Great Recession And I felt like I was in huge trouble. I created Behind the Brand to solve my own problem. The idea was to produce a show about innovators, entrepreneurs, and the stories behind their success so that we could take a page from their playbooks. Millions of you now watch and listen to my show every month, and I'm so grateful. And over the last few years, I've seen a lot of shows popping up that look like us, which is fine and predictable. But if you're new here, here's how I'm a little bit different. If you asked me how I built this, I would have to answer it was an original idea born out of necessity, not imitation. I'm not a journalist with a fancy pedigree or someone who's never worked in business. This show is not distributed by one of the largest publishers in the world. We are fiercely independent and I'm proud of it. I'm not one of these multimillionaires who built a show to promote their huge life insurance company, wine business, or real estate empire or to sell you self-help programs. Nope, I'm probably a lot like you. I'm married, raising four kids, and running my business. I'm in the trenches every day trying to keep my head above water and figure out how to be a little bit better tomorrow than I was today. I'm your eyes and ears when I go behind the brand. Thank you again for all the love and attention. There's no way I could do this without your support. If you feel like it, don't forget to leave a review with as many stars as you think is fair. i rated appearance. I can stand on skill alone, but I'm a package deal. I can write the whole song and rap for real. I got my head in the cloud with a pun intended. I don't need to see nobody. I don't want no visits. Introverted, I just flirt with the music.